This is Kristen Smith, and you're listening to the Destination Begin podcast. Hi, friends. I hope this finds you well. I feel like I say that to everyone all the time now in my text messages and emails and phone calls. I just really hope everyone is well. Um, I don't want to spend this podcast episode talking about the coronavirus because everywhere you turn, that's all anyone is talking about. And so I do not need to be another source of talking about COVID-19. So I'm not going to. I am going to talk a little bit about what I've been up to because, you know, that's I guess, all that I have to talk about uh, to start this off. But I hope that you guys are all finding ways to be productive if you are in a shelter-in-place city um, or simply working remotely and just establishing a new normal. Um, Things change really quick. A week ago when I recorded this podcast in Minneapolis, we did not have a shelter-in-place in in order, in effect. And now we do. And it's it's not incredibly extreme. I don't think you have to show identification to be out and about or anything like that. Um, grocery stores and pharmacies are open and um, medical services, but otherwise everything is shut down. So I've been working remotely for a while and um, been staying with Randy because his house is a lot more conducive to being sheltered in place with a dog. And um, so it's been it's it's been a way to ease in to this shelter in place thing. And of course I feel like they've done a really good job getting everyone used to the idea of total lockdown step by step. Um, and so it it wasn't a big shock and it wasn't a big adjustment. Been staying home and working and just trying to minimize exposure to other people. And so we'll see what happens. It's an interesting time. That's for sure. Um, I find that you know, uh, the routine is completely gone as far as, you know, my gym is closed and my work is completely remote. The things that I would do to pass the time, seeing friends and going to the coffee shop, those things are all just not available. And so just not having the routine, it's taken, definitely taken some time to get used to. But in the last few days, what I realized was it's not the routine being gone that is so disruptive to my system. It's the loss of structure and I can change that. I can have structure, even if the components of my day are different. So realizing that really lined my brain and body and emotions back up. And so just setting a time to get up each day, setting a goal for what time my workouts are going to be and what they're going to be and a bedtime, um, it's really it's really been the piece that that matters. What's involved in my routine is not as important as the structure. And that really has I think that's really important to feel in control of your own day and your own activity. So having structure back has been really great. And this week I've been really trying to use some of that nervous energy for some fun things because I find it's just harder to concentrate there's just the news is changing every five minutes. And so my brain is just, my attention span is not there like it normally is. And so having productive things to do with my hands and with my mind has been really fun. And I talked about this last week about how important it was to keep your brain busy. And so I'm still working on Spanish. I love doing my Duolingo app every day. Um, but I also, I alluded to this last week, but I started learning balloon art. And it's something that I've always wanted to do. And it's just so much fun. It's really an an inexpensive hobby. YouTube has videos 
on how to do all of it. There's one video in particular where this guy teaches the 11 twists that you need to know in order to basically make anything out of a balloon. So I've been doing that and practicing and then practicing making all kinds of really cool things. In fact, I sent an email to my coworkers saying, hi, I'm learning how to make balloon animals. What do you guys want? And my friend Liz, my coworker and friend Liz wanted a dolphin. And I'm like, of course you do. Like the, how, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> but sure enough, on YouTube, there's a video on how to make a balloon dolphin. So I was able to follow along. Unfortunately, I didn't have enough blue and white and green balloons to make it the same color. So it was a calico dolphin, like a calico cat. It was blue and green and orange dolphin. And so I was like, sorry, it's a calico dolphin, the first of its kind. And she loved it. She named her seaweed. So seaweed the dolphin was my first commissioned work of art. She was well received. And then another coworker requested a cow which I didn't have brown or white balloons. So um, he got a blue cow, but I did make sure I made udders and I didn't do them right. And so it has this big cluster. It looks like a cluster of grapes or like hemorrhoids, but um, this big giant cluster of pink udders. And it is really cute anyway, but um, just been practicing that. The key to good balloon art is being able to make your, your segments the same size or the appropriate size. It's just hard to to be consistent. I'm not great with anything artistic. And so it's, you know, it doesn't come easy for me, but balloon art in it of itself is very easy. You can get a bag of balloons for $1.50 at Walmart or any store, and then a little balloon pump for three bucks. And so for $5, you can be learning how to twist balloon animals. I highly recommend it. Super fun. I want to get really good at it so I can show up at a birthday party and just take requests and make anything anybody wants. That's like a lofty goal. I might have to start with a menu of here are the things you can choose from. Swords, flowers, dogs, dolphins, and um, hats. I know how to make a couple really funny hats. So that's been fun. I really like that. And then hula hooping. I was trying to learn how to hula hoop last week. Um, with the hula hoop that was in Randy's garage, which is defective. It's garbage. And, and I was right. I was saying that the hula hoop was defective. I am amazing. It's not my fault that this isn't working. And actually, while I was sort of tongue in cheek, I was actually right. Hula hoops um, that are up to your belly button. So you should have a hula hoop that's really large. When you're standing the hula hoop up in front of you, it should come to your belly button. And that's the appropriate size hula hoop for most people to be able to hula hoop. And so, and I found that out on YouTube as well. Everything is on YouTube. And I'm sorry if you can hear my stomach growling, I'm starving. Um, so I got the supplies to build my own hula hoop. And sure enough, second try. Kid hula hoop. I could hula hoop all day if I wanted to. And I do hula hoop every day as part of my workout because it's a really good core workout. And I want to get really good at it and really solid because I want to incorporate hula hooping in with other things like maybe hula hooping on a BOSU ball, maybe folding a balloon animal while hula hooping. Mm -hmm. See what I'm doing? So that's also been productive use of my spare time. Um... I've also been writing a lot, which has been fun. Like like writing people letters. 
I like to send cards in the mail, but I've been starting to write letters. Like I wrote a long letter to my grandma and it was really fun to just write to her like I was talking to her and sending notes out to my friends and I've been sealing all of them with wax, with my with my monogram wax stamp, which is really fun. And so all of that to say, I'm keeping myself out of trouble. Not like there's any trouble to be found, but it's just a time to – you know, I have a little extra time. These are things that I've always wanted to do. I may as well do them. I mean, why waste the time, right? We also, um, we completely emptied everything out of Randy's kitchen, like all the cupboards, and then rethought how his kitchen was laid out. Because you know, sometimes you move into a house and you just put things away and you don't think about it. And then later you realize how inefficient and stupid it is that you walk all the way across the kitchen to grab something that you need by the stove every time. So that was a big project, but it was really fun to just take it all out and put it all back in. And um, so that was very productive. Felt really good about that. Um, And then I was going to learn how to put on false eyelashes because I think they're really pretty, but I've never been able to put them on straight. So I'm like, all right, this is the time. This is the time to learn. This is the time to practice. I got time and I have a little magnifying mirror here. Yeah. I got them on and stuff. But after I took them off, there was so much glue left on my eyelashes that when I would blink, my eyelashes would stick to like this, like my face above my eyes, if you can imagine that. So I would blink and it would like, they would stick and they'd pop and it was just awful. They were so uncomfortable. So guess what? Failure and I'm okay with it. False eyelashes are stupid and I'm not ever putting them on again. I'm done. Gave up. Um, Not the case though with nails. Can't get my nails done. So I got press on nails and those are awesome. I used to use them all the time. So I'm not a stranger to them, but I got some more because, you know, salons and stuff are closed and I love them, but I forgot about the funny part where you just all of a sudden look down and you're missing a nail and you have no idea where it is. And you're like, today I said, oh, look at that. I'm missing a nail. I hope it wasn't in the salad that I made earlier. But actually it wasn't, I can promise you, because I'm sitting on the floor recording this and I'm looking across the room I'm in and I can see the nail sitting on the ground. So there it is. Hello, little nail. Hey, I already replaced it, so I guess that one I'm going to throw away. But... um. Randy's learning a lot about having a girl around. That's for damn sure. Like, oh, look, there's a nail on the floor. Yep, that's mine. So lots of learning going on. Um, We've also been cooking a lot. Um, I have an air fryer. I just got it, I don't know, about a couple months ago or I don't know, six years ago. Isn't time crazy right now? I feel like I don't even know what what it, what day it is and when anything happened in my life. Time is just so weird when you're not going anywhere. But I got an air fryer and I had gotten an Instant Pot a couple years ago because everyone was making things in the Instant Pot. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to get one. Everyone seems to love it. So I bought an Instant Pot. I hated it. I feel like it's fraudulent. It's like you can make spaghetti and with meat sauce in 10 minutes and you don't even have to thaw the meat and you don't have to boil the pasta. You throw it all in. And so, yeah, well, that's not even true. 
because first you got to like put the stuff in and then you got to do this thing to pressurize it and then and then it cooks for 10 minutes and then you can't open it because it's got to release the pressure and it's still an hour before you're eating spaghetti and meat and then it's weird. I did not like it. And so I gave it to my mom. I said this is this is snake oil. So I I wasn't sure about getting an air fryer. I felt like I'd have the same experience where everyone loved it and I just didn't get it. But my friends, um, Anna and Gavin, when we were at Disney, they said they loved their air fryer. And I typically believe everything they say. So I got a cheap one just in case that I didn't like it. I got a Ninja. It was maybe 50 bucks. It is so great. I love, love, love it. I, it heats up really fast. It's easy to clean. And I love veg. I eat vegetables all the time. And I just run out of ways to make them that, where they're interesting. But I've been making vegetables in there. And I, I just – I can't – I can't. There, I will just spend an hour telling you to buy one. Just, just go buy one. Today we made chicken legs in there. Amazing. We made steaks in there. Um, scallops. I threw frozen scallops in that puppy. And they were – perfectly done. Perfectly done in like 15 minutes and not soggy. And I don't, I don't understand how it's so great, but it is. So you should get yourself one. So we've been cooking a lot, that kind of stuff. Really fun. So if you have one and you're not using it, you should use it. And if you don't have one, go buy one right now. You're welcome. Um, oh, and my roller skates just arrived today. I'm so excited. When I was a kid, I had roller skates and, um, they were white with purple wheels. And I used to roller skate back and forth the length of the laundry room in the basement because it was like a smooth cement floor. And I would crank Christian music. Janet Pascal was my favorite roller skating music. Janet Pascal got famous because she was on the worship team for Jimmy Swigert. And um, she's a really good singer. I wonder what ever happened to her. Anyway, so I would spend hours um, roller skating and then I would roller skate outside when it was nice out. And, and then, I, of course, I, I stopped roller skating. And when I was overweight, I didn't do anything like that. And so when my son was a teenager, he wanted to go to the roller rink in town. So I started taking him there. And I would rent roller skates. And I would try to roller skate. And I was so shaky. And my balance was crap. But it was fun. And I would do it a lot. And then that kind of ended. And so I decided that I'm going to get some roller skates. I'm going to work on that during quarantine too. So I may be reporting um, next time you hear from me from the hospital with a broken neck. I don't know, but we'll see. These ones are white with pink wheels. They're the most Kristen things ever. Love them. Cannot wait to, I don't know, fall down and ride them all over the neighborhood. Randy's neighbors are going to wonder who the heck just like is hanging out over here. Just what a roller skating weird. You know what my goal is actually? is to be able to roller skate while hula hooping, while folding a balloon animal. That would be rad. I could get on like America's Got Talent with that. So I just have to figure out which two skills to combine first. Like do I learn how to fold a balloon animal while hula hooping, then take it on skates? Or should I work on skating and hula hooping first? I don't know. Send me your suggestions, I guess. But stay tuned. It's never a dull moment around here. Today I'm going to talk a little bit about unsupportive family or friends or when in general when you find that people in your life are not supportive of you 
in a specific way. Um, you know, you'd expect family members, especially family, to be supportive of positive changes in your life when you make them. You'd expect support, encouragement, and most of the time, I think it's normal to expect your family to be your biggest cheerleaders along the way. I know that I've expected that when I've done big things, and I've often been disappointed to learn that my family has not been supportive and not been there for me. And there have been many times when they have been, but when it's come to my weight and my fitness and how I manage my lifestyle, it's been incredibly eye-opening to understand how little support there's been. And, um, And I'm still trying to figure out why, and I'm still kind of learning how to understand and how to keep it in perspective. But I'm finding that a lot of you who listen have shared with me similar struggles. And so that's why I want to talk about it because I feel like there are ways to deal with it and there are ways not to deal with it. And this is a topic that it makes me a little nervous because I don't want this podcast to be negative or sour grapes and I don't want it to be complainy. But um, this is something that is reality and it's not always pleasant. And um, so I just want to preface it by, I feel like I have to preface a lot of things on this podcast by saying, I don't hate anyone and I don't hate my family and I love my family and I'm not trying to be a jerk face. I'm just trying to be real about my experience and tell my story. So there, that's my disclaimer. But, um, you know, I started gaining weight when I was a kid and there wasn't a whole lot that was said about it when I first started gaining weight. It wasn't called out. Um, it wasn't mentioned and no one reprimanded me or made me feel bad in my family. Um, and then of course I didn't go to school And so I didn't have feedback from my peers. I knew that I was getting fat and I didn't like it. But, you know, my family didn't, they didn't interfere. Nobody reprimanded me. My parents never tried to put me on a diet. It just wasn't, it wasn't addressed. Um, You know, my family was all obese, all the adults in my family obese. And um, my mom was always on a diet. Um, The pastor's wife, was always on a diet and she was always touting diets. Like she would say this diet was the next best thing. And so all the women in church would do it. And my mom especially would do it. And, um, I mean, there was the cabbage soup diet. There was one called like the doctor's diet or something where it was like dry toast. And I just remember my mom making this food for herself and hating it and being like, Oh my gosh, I have to eat this. And so diets were drudgery, like they were portrayed as drudgery and there was never a happy thing about a diet. But my mom was always on a diet. But um, when I started getting fat, they she didn't put me on a diet. Nobody interfered. I didn't get teased. Um, you know, in, in culture, everything was a sin. We weren't allowed to do anything. But for some reason, gluttony was not on the sin list. And so there was potlucks and there was big church feasts and there was a lot of focus on food as celebration. And, um, and so there was kind of an unhealthy fixation on food. There were not any, there weren't very many thin people in culture either. There was a lot of obese people and my dad and my brother would make fun of them. And so I knew just from even in my little bubble that being fat was not desirable 
and that it didn't look good. But my family, my family could make fun of fat people, but they were all fat. So it's kind of a mixed message. But all of that to say, as a kid, I started gaining weight and nobody said anything. Nobody did anything. Nobody interfered. Nobody tried to stop me from gaining weight. And as I got bigger and bigger, my mom just would have me wear her clothes. Eventually, she and I wore the same size. And so that was easy. And then since we didn't wear pants, you know, skirts fit when you're fat easier and dresses can be made to cover up your fat easier. And so my mom sewed my clothes. And so all that to say there wasn't, there wasn't concern about me being fat. And um, I didn't want to be fat. But once I started eating at night and I realized that food was like my best friend and the greatest drug ever, there was no stopping at. It didn't matter that I started to not fit into my clothes. It didn't matter that my belly started to stick out. I couldn't stop myself. I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the coping skills. I didn't know how to control it. I had found the love of my life and that was food. And so it's just kind of why the trajectory that way started. Um, and so as I got to be a teenager, the dialogue around my weight, it stayed pretty neutral and it just turned to, you know, Kristen has my hips or she has birthing hips or she's big boned. I mean, that was really what was said was I was big boned like my dad, which I hated because my dad was six, two and he was really muscular, but he's also really overweight. And so to be said that I was like my dad, it was like, oh, geez. But um, when I got pregnant, then it was just balls to the walls. I ate everything I possibly could. I don't know how my kid did not come out with diabetes because junk food, I was, you know, I was a teenager when I was pregnant. And so I ate junk food, drank Mountain Dew. I gained so much weight in my pregnancy. I remember going to the doctor for a checkup and I remember him saying to me kind of disgustedly, like, you know, you could walk around the block. And I was like, that sounds terrible. But I did try it once and I hated it. So I only did it one time. And then my last checkup before I had him, you know, they have you go every week. I went in and he looked at my chart. He's like, oh, it says here you gained 10 pounds last week. That can't be right. And I remember thinking like, oh, it's probably pretty right. It was ridiculous how quickly I gained weight. And, um, and so I couldn't afford maternity clothes that fit. Oh, um, plus size maternity clothes are very expensive. So my mom sewed me these giant maternity dresses, just these giant dresses. And I remember a lot of it was out of material. She had to make like curtains and quilts and she made me clothes and I was stoked because they were free and they covered everything up and I could just keep getting bigger and eat more and it was fine. And my feet swelled up and I was just ginormous. And I remember walking into my parents' house one time and my mom saying, oh, here's the biggest house. And my dad said, oh, big as a duplex. And I didn't like that. But that was really the only feedback that I got. Uh, no one ever said anything about how fat I was. And when I got to be 400 pounds, um, there was there was nothing said. No one was concerned. No one did an intervention. And when I would go on a diet and I lose a little weight, they would be very supportive of that. But 
you know, like your face is thinner and you should keep it up. And my brother used to make little bets with me. Like, I wonder who can lose the most weight in the next two months. And he kind of throw down knowing that I would bite and I would go at it hard and he wouldn't even try, but he would do that to get me to kind of lose weight, which in, it was very sweet of him. I love looking back at that. It was really sweet. Um, conversely, I remember one thing he said that, um, when I said I lost 30 pounds, he said, that's like throwing a chair, a deck chair off the queen Mary. I was real offended at that. He's real funny anyway. Uh, but ultimately basically I was 400 pounds and my family did not intervene. And so when I lost a hundred pounds, it was met with all of this support. Everyone was really nice. Um, I fit into a dress for my sister's wedding and um, got down to about 300 pounds. And I started to have more of an active life, rode my bike with my son. Um, I did some workout videos and my brother, I remember um, he sold me a bike um, that he had had and talked about biking with me. And so I felt like more normal and just my weight was a lot. I could get around easier. And so there was just a lot of support when I was around 300 pounds. Um, it was all fine and dandy. So then when I had announced that I was having weight loss surgery, there was some skepticism. Like, you know, my, my mom didn't say a whole lot, but she wasn't very supportive. Um, at one point there was a conversation about all the side effects and the complications or my dad was worried I would just die. And, um, you know, there was a lot of people that we had known that had had weight loss surgery that it, they lost a lot of weight and then they just gained it back. And so my parents were pretty quiet and skeptical. You know, my sister was my support person. She was really supportive. Um, but there wasn't an overwhelming amount of support, but it, I didn't really care. I was going to do it anyway. And they knew that they weren't going to talk me out of it. Um, but there was just, I think there was worry and skepticism. And so as I started losing weight, it was met with, you know, support basically, but still not a lot was said. There wasn't a lot of overjoyed, like, wow, we're so happy for you. There was just a lot of quiet and, and it was fine. I was not, I was so happy. I didn't care if anybody like, like cared it was, I was doing it for me, but at family dinners, I could eat two or three bites of protein and a couple bites of something else. And so there was little comments made about how crazy it was that I couldn't eat that much. And, and there were little comments, little pot shots that were being made. And so I had to go to my therapist and be, because it gave me such a complex. I wanted to eat more so they would stop scrutinizing me, but I couldn't. And he basically just said, you have to take care of yourself and nobody cares. People care less about what you're doing than you even think, which was true, I think, about most people. But my family, I feel like the skepticism and the criticism really started hardcore after I started being very successful losing weight. And it was very confusing for me. And I started running and all of a sudden there was all of this concern about my knees. I mean, everybody, it was just like they, they needed to have a, this like a intervention for Kristen's knees. And I just wanted to scream. None of you said a word to me about my knees when I was 400 pounds. 
None of you intervened when I was drinking a case of Mountain Dew a week. Nobody said a word at family dinners when I ate four pieces of lasagna. None of you were concerned. But now you're all very concerned that I've only got three bites of food on my plate and that my knees are going to hurt from running. It really pissed me off. I mean, it still does. It's absurd to me. And so I got very defensive and it was really frustrating. Um, People would say, in my family, people would say things like, I want to lose weight, but I don't want to have to run all the time like you or I want to lose weight, but I don't want to be obsessed like you, or um, you look anorexic. People said I looked anorexic when I was 200 pounds. So it was just really frustrating, really surprising, and really hurtful that my family, like my family was as unsupportive as that. And so I was dealing with that while I was still dealing with this big mental and emotional shift with my body image. I didn't understand what the mirror was showing me when I looked in it. My mind was still that of a fat person and I expected to see that and then I didn't. And it was so confusing. And so that whole, I just remember there was a whole period of time of about a year or so, year or two after surgery that it was just a lot of swirling mental craziness in my own little world and exacerbated by my family not being happy for me, which was just confusing. But I just kind of learned to tune it out and they did a really good job of not expressing it a whole lot. And so it wasn't like in my face, but fast forward a few years and I had really dialed in my diet when I went paleo and I stopped eating sugar all the time. And then I was working out a lot. I had a trainer and yes, I talked about it way too much. Here's me. I used to be morbidly obese. Now I have a trainer. Now I'm working out. Now I'm getting muscles. I can run further and further. It's all I talked about. I'm sure I was annoying as hell, but all it did was like none of them understood. And so I didn't help the problem, but it just got worse. The comments got worse and more aggressive. And um, I started taking some trips with some of my family. And, you know, my my process when I go on vacation is I like to run in the morning, especially if I'm somewhere warmer than Minnesota. And so I'd get up, go for a run, and there'd be nasty comments about how I was running on vacation and ignoring all the other things. And I went on a road trip one time with my sister and our kids for a wedding and I was in marathon training. So I got up early and I ran 10 miles before we had to leave and I got back and I was just given so much crap that I had taken that time for myself. And, um, and just little sarcastic things like, I suppose you have to run before you can eat that or we didn't run here. So we probably shouldn't eat that or, um, just, just got really nasty. That's just got, that's all. And I remember when I was training for my first marathon and it was really hard and I had like some GI distress on a lot of my long runs and it was really stressful because I didn't know how to address it. I didn't know why it was happening. I didn't know how to make it stop happening. And so there were many times I do a long run and I would get sick on the way and I have to walk home and I'd be so sick. 
I remember telling my mom and she was just like, why are you doing this? You should quit. And I said, um, you're my mom. Do you realize you just told me to quit when my the going gets tough? Like, you're my mom. You just told me to quit on my goals. Just need you to know that you can't do that. You're my mom. You're supposed to say you can do it. Uh, she just shrugged at me. She didn't care. But I'm not saying any of this to villainize my family. I'm just kind of giving you examples of what it was like and and how surprised I was. But now I understand that it's very common. And it's incredibly common, especially with siblings. And the reason why is, so my siblings are all overweight now. They they were all way smaller than me when I was fat. And as I lost weight, they gained weight. My brothers kept his weight under control. Um, he had gotten pretty heavy and he got all that weight off. Um, but my sister has not. And she's the loudest and most aggressive and cruel to me about my body and my lifestyle. I don't know why. I have never said anything to her. I do not care what she eats, how she works out. My sister has always been and always will be someone that I cannot help but look up to and admire and respect. And so the fact that she is that mean-spirited is horribly hurtful for me. And so I've grappled with why. Why is this the dynamic? And so the answer is we were raised in the same environment with the same parents, the same genes, the same bag of opportunity, the same options. And the fact that I have changed my life is the worst possible thing for anyone in my family who has not changed their life. Because when I walk into a room, I don't have to say anything, but my presence and what I look like says, you can change if you want to. And that really sucks to hear when you've not changed and you're not happy with how things are. If my family was happy with how they were, they wouldn't care. But the spotlight on me as the giant 400-pound sister was really comfortable for everyone because when I walked in, when that 400-pound girl walked in, her presence said, you're not as bad as I am. You're not as fat as me. You're thin compared to me. I've messed up my body and you've not. Therefore, you're better than me and I'm less than you and you can be real proud that you're not me. So that's what my body said when I walked in. Me walking in at 400 pounds was incredibly comforting and validating to everyone in the room. But as I shrunk, that spotlight dimmed and my presence no longer said those things. Now when I walk in the room, my presence, even if I had a bag over my head, I walk in and my fit and healthy body says, you can be fit and healthy if you want to be. You can lose all the excess weight that you want to. My presence says that because that's what I did. I'm not bragging here. It's just that's what I've done for 15 years. And because I've also been through a hellish first marriage, I've had many really huge life setbacks. Some very recently. Um, recently, I went through one of the hardest things ever. And I chose to, to live and so I can still show up and smile and laugh and love my life. And my happy, smiling self says, 
you can decide to live and thrive even if your life falls apart. You can be happy. You don't have to be miserable. You can get whatever you want out of life. You can do hard things. You can choose life because that's what I've done. Again, I'm not tooting my own horn. That's just what I've chosen to do. And so when I walk into a room with my family and there are members of my family who are miserable and have not chosen to better their situation, my presence is a horrible thing. And guess what? I can't do about anything about any of that. I can't say a thing to change it. And I'm glad that when I walk in, my presence says, you can be fit and healthy and happy no matter what. Because I believe that. Um, but the fact that it's met, I met immediately with criticism and snide remarks and the attempts to knock me down and cut me down, I, I can't do anything about that. So how do I handle that? I used to show up and just belittle myself on purpose to show that I'm not great and I'm not good to be like, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe I'm here and it's, it's great, but really, um, I'm a terrible person and, and, and look at me, I still can't control myself around candy and junk food. And I would just eat everything inside to prove that I still ate. Just be like, I'm normal like you. Look at me. I'm eating all the junks. It's so good. But I'm the one who had to go work that crap off my body the next day and like feel like garbage. So I refuse to do those things. If I do want to eat something sweet, I do at Christmas. I ate pie, I ate all the sweets I wanted to because I wanted to. Um, and that didn't make anybody happy either. But if I'm on vacation with my family, I get up early and I run because that's what I want to do. I eat the foods that make me feel good. I do me. And I've learned this is the number one thing I've learned. I don't talk about it anymore. I keep a super low profile. And I'll talk about food or fitness or what I do for workouts. I keep my mouth shut. Because all that does is invite vitriol. All that does is invite criticism. Um, and just understanding that when I get crapped on, it says nothing about me and it says everything about them. And that sucks. And that is sad. I just want all of us to love each other and get along. Um, and there's nothing I can do. I, You can change your life. If anyone in my family is miserable... My message to them is, if you're miserable, you can change it. There is no circumstance that you have that you cannot change. The end. And I don't have other things to say. I can say, yeah, I'm really sorry that that's the reality, but just change it. My family is full of smart, amazing, ambitious, talented, cool, awesome people. I love my family. They can truly do anything that they want to do too. And it's proven. My siblings and I came from the same place with the same opportunity and the same everything. There's, we, we all can go slay. So anyway, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's frustrating, but all I can do is just take care of me. And then I had to find my tribe. I surround myself with people who are of like mind I surround myself with people who have lifestyles like me so that I have people that I can relate to and that are happy for me and that I can be happy for them and surround myself with people that are committed to change and level up and push and learn and grow. And, um, you know, you, 
you can't replace your family, but you certainly can surround yourself with people that you can have those things in common with and that are not going to give you crap. That's really, really what you have to do. So if you have an unsupportive family, you really just have to find a, a new tribe. Uh, I'm not saying to cut off your family, but you have to put up boundaries there. Don't let them have access to make those jabs. Like I am never going to eat a meal with my family again if I have any say about it because it's not worth the comments, the criticisms. It's not worth it. And I don't have to put up with it. And so my boundary is like, I'm not eating with you people. Just not. It's not fair and it's not kind. I don't have to listen to it. Um, You know, that might be an extreme boundary for you, but you don't have to expose yourself to negativity like that, especially if you're eating and living a healthy lifestyle. It is so incredibly important to take care of your body. It's the, you only get one body. You only get one life. No one else can work your body out for you or put healthy food in your mouth for you. You have to do that. So if anyone around you is unsupportive about that, screw that. No, (laughs) no, you have to take care of yourself and to do so takes effort and work. And that's to be admired and respected and commended. It's not something that you should let anybody give you garbage for period. So surround yourself with people that get it and that support you and encourage you and who build you up. And if you're on a weight loss journey, it's so important to find a group of people to work out with and to eat with and to plan meals with and to talk about food with, to reinforce those new good habits that you're forming in your life. They're habits. And if you've been living an entire lifetime with unhealthy habits and you're trying to change them, that's hard. That's rewiring your brain. That's building new pathways. And the people around you need to be people who support that and who are also living in that way. Um, Surround yourself with people who are leaders in healthy food and in nutrition and working out. My life continually changes and evolves and grows based on the people that are around me. People that that I see doing harder things than me make me want to do harder things. People who are learning new things, it makes me want to learn more things. People who are moving in different ways and working their body in different ways makes me want to move and work my body in different ways. My friends are yogis. I, Until they were in my life, I didn't ever do yoga. And they convinced me that I should try it. And I've seen the benefits. And now I go to yoga and it's like, oh my gosh, this is so good for me. And it was my friends who brought me there. My niece is doing climbing at Vertical Endeavors. I've never done that before. It makes me want to go level up and learn how to do something harder. And so I'm going to go try that out. Those are all examples of people that encourage me to leave my comfort zone behind. Those are the people I need to have around me. Yeah, my family's my family. I can't excommunicate them. I won't. But I will put up boundaries because... Living a healthy lifestyle, being fit, being healthy, eating good, healthy food, and being at a healthy weight, that's what we're supposed to be doing as human beings with our bodies. And so if your family, people who are supposed to love you, 
don't support you on that, you got to put some boundaries up there because that's ridiculous. And since I've learned to do that and it's all very recent, I have a lot more peace around the idea of what I'm doing with my body and my health and not caring what they think anymore. Um, so, and I'm really sorry if you're finding yourself in the same situation I am, I'm sorry. It sucks and it's not fair. And you can complain to me and I will say, yeah, that's not nice. And then we'll shake it off and we'll just do our thing. You have to do you. So I've told my family, like, I'm the youngest. So I'm going to die last. None of you guys are going to be here to take care of me if I need, like, to wear a diaper or something. So you should be glad I'm taking care of myself. So you have to worry about me. So you guys can all, like, grow old and and not worry who's going to take care of Kristen. I'll take care of Kristen. I'm taking care of Kristen right now. So that's all I have to say about that. Again, I'm trying not to be sour grapes. And I love my family. And, you know, they don't really... I don't think they understand the impact of what they say and do. And so I just pre-forgive them and then say, I'm not eating with you again. (laughs) So the end. Do you love this podcast? Please consider sharing it with a friend please consider posting it on your social media or linking it on your Facebook. The podcasting world is huge and it's really hard for this podcast to make it into the hands of more people outside of my personal social circle. So please share it. Please share it with someone that you know has never heard of me or this podcast and it would really mean a lot to me. You can reach out to me directly too on Instagram, destination underscore begin. You can also email me, Kristen at destinationbegin.com. And I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear show ideas. I'd love to hear your feedback and thoughts and follow-up questions. It's really fun to interact with all of you here in podcast world. Mm-hmm.